Our next guest on RN is the author of one of the New Yorker's best books of 2022, The Revenge of Power, How Autocrats Are Reinventing Politics for the 21st Century. Dr. Moises Naim is former trade minister of Venezuela, a former board member of Venezuela's Central Bank, and an executive director of the World Bank. He's also the founder and chair of the Organization of Progressive Latin American Business Leaders, known as the G50 and a widely respected commentator. Dr. Naeem, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thanks for inviting me, Julian. It's a pleasure chatting with you. You too. Dr. Naeem, you draw what some might seem an unexpected line from Silvio Berlusconi to Hugo Chavez to Donald Trump. Now, Berlusconi to Trump, many people could go with, I think, intuitively. But as someone who's experienced the way that Hugo Chavez transformed your country, I wonder if you could tell us what that was like and why you see a continuity between those three men. And it's not just the three of them. Uh, in the book, uh, The Revenge of Power, I include a long list of others that I claim are using what I term the three Ps, which is governing with populism, polarization, and post-truth. And you can see how even though they are very different in background, in history, in culture, in economics, in the way they relate to the world, uh, these governments uh, uh, share a, a view of uh, how to govern, which is using uh, the tools provided by polarization, by post-truth, and by populism. You describe the three Ps, as you say, as a style of leadership. And you say that the, the form of power that many three P autocrats wield is stealthocracy. I wonder if you could explain that term for us a little bit more, please. The past decade was very tumultuous. A lot happened in economics. There was a crash in 2008, 2010. We have the pandemic. We had Donald Trump. We had Brexit. We had uh, accelerating climate change accidents. Uh, we have a lot of things that kept us uh, uh, distracted. And we missed the point that in that decade, we also lost a lot of democracy. Democracy experienced uh, backsliding all over the place. The reason why we missed it is because these new dictators, these new autocrats present themselves as democrats and they stealthily, uh, once they're in power, they stealthily undermine democracy from within. They use the power they have because they eventually they were elected, but then they immediately started undermining the checks and balances that define a democracy. A democracy is not just what happens the day of the election. A democracy is also what's happening between elections. And they just uh, went all out in, a, in an onslaught against the checks and balances that define what that democracy is. And they did that in a very furtive, in a very uh, stealthy way. One of the sub-themes of your book is the weird combination of people who are, begin as entertainers and end up uh, being highly illiberal, 3P autocrats. Could you expand a little bit on that for us? And I wondered also what your thoughts are about a figure who's widely respected and admired at the moment, and but comes from that lineage, Vladimir Zelensky. Yeah, that's a good question. Let me start first, which is what is generally called fandom. Fandom is what fans have for a sports team, a soccer club or a rugby club. Their identity, who they are, is intertwined with being a supporter. 
Um, so you you develop these uh, strong, strong fealties and attractions and sense of belonging. So the politicians have discovered that, and they discovered that the typical traditional charisma that was used by politicians. Well, sure, it is that, but now it has acquired a much more potent meaning. It is not just charisma. It is fealty in a way that we have not seen, except when we see the fans of a beloved band or act or singer or sports club. And then Zelensky. Now it seems a route to acquire government and become the president of a country is not through the political party, is not through Congress, not having experience in government, it's just being a new face that brings hope and essentially is different from everything that had happened before. And the world has showing an appetite for new faces and in the Revenge of Power I talk about both fandom and the disdain for political parties and disdain for politics. Is the, in the what in the book I call Anti-Politics, which I believe it's very dangerous. Speaking of Vladimir Zelensky, I think brings us naturally, Dr. Naim, to the role of Vladimir Putin and Russia, because you describe Russia as playing an outsized role in sustaining a loose global confederation, as you describe it, of mafia states. Could you elaborate on the role that Russia plays in terms of these 3P autocrats and the extent to which the war against Ukraine uh, may or may not have changed that role? Yes, there is an inverse correlation between performance and reliance on the three Ps. If you are performing as a government and you have more or less the support of the, of the voters and so on, the need to use populism and polarize the country more and use propaganda and other tools to manipulate public opinion is less. If things are not going well and your country is in dire straits in a variety of ways, you need something else to keep you relevant, legitimate. And then you rely on populism, which is essentially the divide and conquer and, you know, divide the country between uh, an elite, a corrupt elite that exploits the noble people and that you are there to defend it. So, you know, Populism, polarization, post-truth are an antidote to underperformance. And we see that in Putin in spades, in his recent speeches. They are three P speeches. You could clearly, easily identify how he uses the three Ps. On Sunday Extra, we are speaking with Dr. Moises Naim, the author of The Revenge of Power, How Autocrats Are Reinventing Politics for the 21st Century. Dr. Naim, two pro-democratic reforms that you endorse in Revenge of Power are ranked choice voting and citizens' juries or citizens' assemblies. Australia is fortunate enough to have ranked choice voting and compulsory voting, which I do think helps our democracy substantially. Uh, Citizens' assemblies, by contrast, have a bit of an image problem in this country after an ill-fated flirtation with the concept when uh, Julia Gillard was Prime Minister. For those Australian ears who are perhaps a little sceptical of the idea of citizens' assemblies. Could you give us an example of where and how they work well and why you endorse them? I use them as an example of things that can be done to update democracies. Democracies need all the support that they can get. There is a powerful pressures to dilute, undermine, and weaken the checks and balances. And I then offer these two as an example. So I'm not arguing that that's the only thing that needs to be done, but it's two is an example. Convening of this group is just a way of increasing opportunities and touch points for participation. 
One of the problems that democracies have around the world is that people believe that all they have to do to keep democracy alive is go and vote every four or five years. And the citizens' assemblies that I suggest have been used in Scandinavia and several Scandinavian countries. They are used in several states in the United States. And I can sympathize with the Australians that don't want to hear about that. Okay, let's not do that, but let's find ways of increasing the incentive to participate, to understand, to be connected in many ways to continuing to perform what political parties used to do, which is provide channels for participation. That has been uh, lacking and has been weakened in the past decade. Essentially, I am just looking for ways in which we can increase the reasons that citizens will have to participate and join some kind of assembly, some kind of participation that will make them more citizens of the country rather than just inhabitants. I found it interesting reflecting on the high degree of polarization over the issue of abortion in America to read that citizens' assemblies were used to constructive effect in Ireland. And of course, we saw a substantial change in policy on the abortion issue in Ireland without the enduring polarization that seems to have characterized America. Dr. Naeem, more broadly, you write that the Times call for bold experimentation in government and indeed uh, revolutionary courage and creativity. I wonder if you could point us to some examples or areas that you see as hopeful in terms of bold experimentation in government and democratic participation. We have plenty of experiments. Many are happening at the local level. Uh, Democracy is thriving in a lot of states and city councils around the world. Renewing, re-energizing, relaunching political parties is indispensable. Political parties have had a very bad ride since the end of the Soviet Union. NGO became fashionable and everybody wanted to join an NGO, but they away from political parties that were perceived as corrupt and inefficient and just attracting careerists and opportunists and not people that wanted to improve the situation. So areas for improvement, uh, I would single out uh, anything that will motivate people to spend some time, uh, not devote their lives and become full-time activists, but be more informed, be less gullible of what populist politicians uh, promise. We have seen a little bit of that in New Zealand. We have seen that again in Scandinavia. And we just saw a powerful example in Brazil. While the United States is still debating the results of the elections, this that was the third largest democracy in the world and votes electronically, uh, mostly all, all of the votes are through the internet and electronically, it works perfectly fine. And so you ask, well, why is the Brazilians not exporting their electoral technology to the United States, for example? <laughs> Indeed. A couple of more topical things I'd like to ask you, Dr. Naeem. What did you make of John Kerry shaking hands with Venezuelan dictator Nicolás Maduro at COP27? Like most Venezuelans, we were surprised and appalled. Uh, it was not John Kerry's fault. He was just sitting there in a, in a global summit and this import dictator from Venezuela comes and, and intrudes in the meeting and shakes hands. And all he wanted was a picture shaking hands. Mm. This is a leader for to which the United States Treasury has posted a $25 million reward for its capture. 
So if Kerry uh, uh, would have helped in capturing him uh, at the moment of Kerry uh, you know, <laughs> <will> become <laughs> wealthy or even wealthier. Um, so uh, this is just a reflection of the fact that the uh, Biden administration's policy towards Latin America in general and Venezuela in particular are a mess. This is a government that is too distracted, rightly so. Uh, with uh, you know the very important crisis in uh, with the war in Crimea, inflation in the world, the tensions between uh, China and Taiwan, North Korea testing uh, missiles, Iran going through turmoil, you know the list. And so when Venezuela does not make the list of the top emergencies of the times. And so when that happens, uh, a superpower has many competing interests. But in this case, the main culprit is the Biden administration neglect of understanding how to work to make sure that democracy is restored in Venezuela. And just finally, Dr. Naim, in The Revenge of Power, you say that the principle that a big lie disqualifies those who tell it from high office has to be reasserted. Do you see the midterm election results in the US as an example of that principle re-emerging in America? Yes, absolutely. I was delighted to have singled it out in the book. I was delighted to see the result. I essentially argued that uh, there should be a, a price to for liars. You know, you cannot get away with lying, lying, and nothing happens. The peaceful coexistence with mendacity and lies has to stop. And there should be costs for those who have embraced lies as their main tool of doing politics. Dr. Moises Naim, thank you so much for speaking with us on RN. Thank you, Julian, for the invitation. It was an interesting conversation. Thanks. And Dr. Naeem's book is The Revenge of Power, How Autocrats Are Reinventing Politics for the 21st Century. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.